welcome to the Marathon Medic podcast. I'm your host, Amy Bolsh, a doctor and running coach with an interest in sports and exercise medicine. These podcast episodes are all about physical activity, exercise and health, and today I'm joined by Helen Keeble, a pelvic health physio who specialises in lumbopelvic health and female return to sports. Helen is also the co-founder of UMI, a one-stop hub for improving pelvic health at every stage of life. Today we're discussing what the pelvic floor is and how to optimise our pelvic health, before exploring the role of the pelvic floor in the context of running and other high-impact sports. Hi Helen, thank you so much for, for joining me today. Hi Amy, thanks so much for inviting me today. It is a pleasure to be here, so thanks. Perfect, so I'm, I've been really looking forward to this conversation because I think uh, on a personal and professional level, I just don't know enough about pelvic health, so I'm very much looking forward to uh, gaining some of your your wisdom about this area. For the purpose of our listeners, uh, would you mind just introducing yourself and a little bit about your background? Yeah, sure. So my name is Helen Keeble. Um, so I'm actually living in Dublin at the moment, but I'm from the UK. Um, so I've been over here just for three years, um, but started off kind of in London. Um, basically, I'm a pelvic health physio. Um, so it means I basically treat anything kind of between the belly button and the knees, like anything in that middle section, either internally or externally around your body then I can help with um so I work over here in Dublin but then I also do quite a lot of teaching so I really love just basically always talking about pelvic health (laughs) so whether that's like to the public or to other professionals I do quite a lot of that so yeah like teaching other physios how to be better at pelvic health and kind of learn new things and my latest work baby is a website called umi health and that's all public facing um so that's not for professionals that's just for people who want to know a bit more about pelvic health and it's just like a one-stop hub that's really easy to digest and evidence-based and but not scary and just really easy to kind of get the information that you need so i'm busy but i really love what i do so i really can't complain (laughs) Great. And we'll we'll come on to Umi um, a little bit later on. And I think uh, if, if we start today just by talking about pelvic health in general, and then because this is a, a running and sports themed podcast, of course, we'll, we'll kind of dive into that side of things a little bit later on as well. Uh, one question I had just then when you introduced yourself. Um, so you're a, a pelvic health physio. And I think sometimes, especially when I'm doing referrals, you can also refer to women's health physio. So what what's the difference there? And as a pelvic health physio, do you see men and women? Yeah, so it's actually a very good question because it's a small intricacy. But as a pelvic health physio, I would see everything that a women's health physio sees. And I do also treat some men. But I started off as a women's health physio because that's just what we were always called. So men were sent to women's health physios. But basically, as language and inclusion, quite rightly, has kind of evolved and kind of just woken up to these sort of things then we kind of have now evolved to call ourselves pelvic health physios um but some people still call themselves women's health physios um but I guess the most kind of up-to-date title is pelvic health yeah okay that's interesting to know because as a man being sent to a women's health physio that might make you feel a bit less willing to to go yeah yeah definitely and and that's the thing like it's hard enough sometimes for women to come in and then let alone men you know it's it is even more taboo in men you know pelvic health conditions um so yeah like any barriers or like uncomfortableness we want to try to remove as much as possible and when should somebody go and see a pelvic health physio I think we we all know that we should go and see a physio if we've got a sports injury for example but what what kind of things do you see in your clinic and what should trigger somebody to come and see you 
Yeah, so I see so many things, which I love. I love how varied it is. So I would see people either before or after any pelvic or abdominal surgeries. Um, So like prostatectomies, hysterectomies, um, laparoscopies, I can never say that. Um, But any basically surgery that involves like the pelvic or abdominal area. Um, I also, I'm probably just quite I'm sure it's quite obvious, but either during pregnancy or after pregnancy um, to help people just either protect their pelvic floor or prepare for birth or to help them recover on the other side. And I also see a lot of women around the menopause time, just because it's another time in our lives where things can just, you know, a bit of a perfect storm can be created to then um, highlight pelvic issues or pelvic health issues. But having said that, I I really do see anyone of any age. So I have women in my on my books that are kind of late teens, early twenties, all the way through to like eighties and nineties. Um, I see a lot of sexual function, so or dysfunction, I guess we should call it. So people that have pain with intercourse or unable to have sex um, or pain with orgasms or anything around sexual function, basically. And then, of course, any bladder or bowel problems, too. So that might involve kind of difficulty getting to the toilet in time or leaking if they're running, for example, or that can involve the bladder or the bowel feeling like they might leak or being scared to leak. And then a lot of what I do personally is also lessening the pelvic health barriers to exercise. So I really, really, really am passionate about helping people get back into exercise and what I call proper exercise. So, um, you know, not that long ago, it would be expected of women that, you know, you reach a certain age, or you've had a baby, and, and then, you know, your options really were like Pilates or yoga. But I know personally, as well for me, so I really love doing high impact and a bit of weightlifting and like the more proper, (laughs) the more proper stuff. But we also we also know it's very well known that like incontinence and prolapse, for example, are big barriers to getting back into high impact or weightlifting. Um, so I really, really feel strongly about helping women and men get back into that as well, because everything has kind of evolved so much that there's really, there's really like not a reason why we can't get back into it. Like any pelvic health problem is treatable. Like it's never, ever too late things I promise you are never ever too bad like we can always always improve them and there's always a starting point so they would be the main things that I treat and then just to briefly add on to the end of that I've also seen maybe in the last five years an increase in people coming in who actually don't have any symptoms but want to keep it that way so I guess more of like a proactive type approach, which I love as well. Um, so we kind of do all the checks and check the pelvic floor and just kind of give them their baseline, make sure they're squeezing their pelvic floor correctly and all of those important bits. Um, and then I hopefully don't see them again for a very long time. So that's kind of been a relatively new thing that's happening, which is great. I think there's definitely been a big drive to make pelvic health more acceptable. And also it's now in the nice guidelines, isn't it, that we should be educating school age. Yeah. Um, I, I think I think it just says girls, but maybe it's school age children in general about their, their pelvic floor and maintaining their pelvic health, which is really nice to see. And hopefully that does encourage people to look after their pelvic floor a bit more and, and have that longevity in, it, in its health. I guess I should have asked you actually before I asked you about what what you see in clinic, just for the purpose of any listeners who are maybe a bit confused about what exactly the pelvic floor is and what we're talking about. What is the the pelvic floor? I know you said that you treat anything from tummy button to to knees, but which muscles actually make up the pelvic floor? 
Yeah, so our pelvic floor muscles are predominantly internal muscles. So for example, if you put your hands on your hips, and then you kind of dissect yourself horizontally (laughs) at that point, and then you look down and in to where your legs would be standing, then you'd kind of be looking into like the pelvis then. Um, So the pelvic floor, like the name suggests, it lines the bottom of that pelvic area. And like I just said, like most of the muscle is internal muscle. um, And that's really important because it helps to support our pelvic joints. So there are three big joints in the pelvis that um, benefit from a bit of pelvic floor support. And they also help to support our pelvic organs, so the bladder and the bowels and the uterus if you're female. And they also really help to keep us continent. So that means they they are essentially like the trapdoor to our bladder and our bowels. So they stop things from coming in or out depending on what we're doing and if we want them to come in or out. And then we also have a smaller layer superficially. And that is more so the sexual function side of things. Um, So it kind of reinforces our openings, um, but it also then attaches like deep into like in and around the penis and also to the clitoris um, to provide a lot of, um, yeah, like sexual sensation and function. So they're quite small muscles relatively, but they are just so important, you know, to kind of our overall well-being. They there's so much overlap between pelvic health and mental health and just how we feel about ourselves and confidence and things like that, our relationships, like they have a really wide reach in terms of problems they can cause if something goes awry. So, so yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, I, th- I think when it goes wrong, it's, it's something that people can struggle to talk about, uh, which obviously they shouldn't, but if we can, if we can also get in there early and, and try and prevent those problems happening in the first place, that, that's even better, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, this is it. And like, I, I totally get it because I talk about it multiple times all day every day so I find it easy to talk about these things but I really appreciate that the people coming in to see me don't like it's not their job they don't talk about it every day they may have never spoken about it before so yeah it can be really really tricky. You you mentioned that some people are coming in for the preventative um, decline in their pelvic health so trying to keep up with those pelvic floor muscle exercises what actually are pelvic floor muscle exercises what do they involve what what should they feel like and, and how often should we do them because obviously you know if someone prescribes you an exercise in the gym we kind of have an idea of we go to the gym and we do that exercise but pelvic floor muscle exercises are obviously much more discreet and I think it can be quite difficult to know if you're if you're doing them correctly yeah yeah definitely um and I'd say it's probably the most common request that I get from people who come in is is like am I doing the right thing you know everybody wants to know if they're doing the right thing or not which is completely understandable and you have to be able to do the right thing when you squeeze your muscles to then in order to get the results that you want so in order to do a pelvic floor squeeze or it's sometimes called pelvic floor exercise or sometimes called a kegel so they're all the same things just different different names for exactly the same thing um so it's actually been shown that to get a really good pelvic floor squeeze that we should actually squeeze from the back passage. So we used to get taught to try and imagine that you're stopping the flow of urine, but that actually only really gets the smaller muscles superficially to work. So if we imagine that we're trying to stop wind, so you're essentially trying to achieve like a tightening and a lifting of the back passage only, then that pretty much gets like the whole muscle to work. So it's kind of like, if you imagine that you're trying to stop the flow of urine, that would be like throwing with just your hand, 
Whereas if you imagine that you're trying to stop wind, that would be like throwing with your entire arm. Both ways would work, but, you know, like using the whole of a muscle or the whole of its capacity is obviously going to be much more beneficial. That's how you do a pelvic floor squeeze. And there are two main types really to do. So the first one is a short squeeze. And that just means so squeezing from the back passage and then letting go again straight away. And then the second type is a long one. So it's actually exactly the same way. So squeeze from the back, but this time you try and hold it for 10 seconds and then you let go. And so I often see like different apps or like programs or sometimes either yoga or Pilates is a bit guilty of kind of making them, I guess probably they're just trying to make them seem a bit more interesting because let's face it, they are quite boring. (laughs) But um, sometimes I see all these fancy type like methods, you know, like going up the lift and coming out at level four and then going down to level zero and then all these different kind of ways to do it. And and they're not wrong, um, but they're also actually not necessary. So actually, all we have to do to have a good functioning pelvic floor is to squeeze fully from the back, let go fully, and make sure some of them are short and some of them are long. And the other really, really crucial thing when we're exercising our pelvic floor muscles is really about the flexibility. So there's so much emphasis on squeezing and strengthening, and that is really, really important. But if our muscles aren't flexible or they're tense in any way, then actually, that strength then just won't be able to be used. So the best way to make sure that your pelvic floor muscles stay flexible is just very simply to do a breath into your tummy and then breathe out again in between every single rep. So it does slow them down a little bit, but it prevents you from like pulsing or it prevents you from building up tension. So you do your squeeze on the back, let go again if it's a short one, breathe in, breathe out and then go again and breathing into your tummy just basically gets the diaphragm to move and the diaphragm moving then really helps the pelvic floor to stay flexible so that is a really really important addition to any pelvic floor squeezes and I think you also asked um, how many to do so if you don't have any symptoms then there's actually no research at the moment to tell us exactly how many to do to prevent problems but we kind of have like accepted that if you try to do about five short ones and five long ones once a day in standing then we believe that will keep your pelvic floor where it is so that's almost like a maintenance type regime if you like um so well I'm actually currently pregnant so I'm doing a few more but before I was pregnant I would just do my five short and five long when I'm brushing my teeth because I brush my teeth every day, I am standing when I do it, you know, and I just kind of like get into the habit of like keeping them moving, keeping them strong. But during pregnancy, or just after pregnancy, or if you have any symptoms, so like a prolapse or leaking, for example, then it's also been shown that we have to do a few more. And that is to treat the problem, but also to prevent problems in pregnancy too. So then the recommendation at the moment is to try and do about eight squeezes three times a day. And ideally, the like you mix them up between the quick ones and the long ones. And ideally, the long ones are 10 seconds. And ideally, they're all in standing. But when you do have symptoms, part of the reason can be because the muscles aren't very strong. 
So if you're new to pelvic floor squeezes and you do have symptoms, then actually I would recommend that you start laying down because that's a lot easier than standing. And, you know, try to hold for 10 seconds, but it's also completely normal that you might not get to 10 seconds. You might get to maybe two or three seconds and that's totally fine. So you just start at two or three seconds and then maybe try and add one second every week until you eventually get to 10. And then after a few weeks, maybe try them in sitting. And then after a few weeks, try them in standing so that you eventually get there. But it is normal for for these exercises to take a few months before you see really big improvements if you do have symptoms. I think the one benefit to these is at least no one knows you're doing them. They're a very discreet exercise, aren't they? So although it's kind of doing eight squeezes three times a day might sound overwhelming, you know, you can you could do them while you're on the bus if you like. No one no one can see that you're doing them. Um, and I, I like that you said that you do them when you're brushing your teeth. I, I, my question was going to be, have you got any tips for uh, for putting them into our, our daily routine and making them habit? Yeah, I think it is just that like combining them, like habit stacking. So what do you do every day that you can do at the same time because everyone is really busy and I know people are motivated to improve their pelvic health but the truth is we just forget you know we have so much on um so I think yeah definitely like I don't know when you've just finished on the toilet maybe that's a good time to do a few squeezes or like if you're waiting in a queue or in the car or on the train or you know like anything that you're doing kind of often Every time you put the kettle on, if you're lucky enough to put that on, <laughs> I'll often during the day, um, every time you take a drink, you know, something that you're doing every day. And uh, one, one thing also I just wanted to, to ask you is any common misconceptions that you commonly come across in clinic? You mentioned when you were explaining the pelvic floor muscle exercises that we, we used to be told, uh, pretend that you're kind of stopping the flow of urine. And I think a common misconception is that actually that is a pelvic floor muscle exercise. And when we're on the toilet, we should stop mid-flow, which is obviously quite dangerous and increases our risk of infection and problems for the bladder. So I think that's a really important misconception to break and, <laughs> and, and tell people otherwise. But any other misconceptions that you come across or, or myths that you want to bust? Yeah, so definitely the, the urine one. So, um, you know, I do, I do say to my patients that you can stop the flow of urine as a test, maybe like once a month, um, just to kind of like see where you are. But you're, you're dead right, like doing it regularly is a really bad habit to get into. And also our bladders are really unintelligent organs, like they get into bad habits really easily. Um, so they don't, they don't need any help with that either. I think one of the other ones that I've kind of already mentioned is that there's such a big focus on strengthening and not enough on flexibility. That is really important. So flexibility or just simply doing that deep breath in between each one is as important as doing the squeeze. Um, just because that breath really helps to reset each. Like it kind of just puts the pelvic floor back to its normal starting point again before you then go again. A really common one I um, hear a lot is that men don't have pelvic floor. And of course, they they definitely do. They have exactly the same anatomy apart from the obvious. You know, they have two holes instead of three holes. But in terms of the pelvic floor muscles, they're, they're nearly identical to, to women. Um, so that would be a big one I hear. And another thing, not necessarily about pelvic floor, but about pelvic health is that acceptance almost that like oh I've been told I have a baby so I just have to this is this is just me now or you know 
I'm 50 now, so I just have to, this is just how sex will be, or this is just how, this is just how it is, or after people might have had surgeries, and advice is still quite outdated, Um, and that's nobody's fault, it's just that it does take a while for the, like, the up-to-date messages to get out there, but things like, oh, I'll, I'll never return to running after having surgery, or I can never lift heavy again, because, you know, of X, Y, or Z, like, because I have a prolapse, and the, the truth is that like with any pelvic health symptoms, so incontinence and prolapse are the most common ones or pelvic floor tension. And actually they can all be sorted. And if not completely sorted, certainly really significantly improved. And I've said it already, but I'll say it again, like it, there genuinely is no problem too big or too small. Um, and it genuinely never is ever, ever too late, no matter how long it's been there. So I think that'd be the most common well, I hope maybe that encourages anyone listening who, who's been having those issues to think, yeah, I need to see a, a pelvic health physio. Um, and that that is something that we can refer to from primary care, for example. It's not something that people have to access by themselves. It's something definitely to mention to their healthcare professional. Yeah. Just moving on to the context of, of pelvic health in sports, which I know you're particularly passionate about. I guess a fact that I just wanted to, to ask you, um, I, I read recently that sports women are three times more likely to have urinary incontinence compared to people that are sedentary. Why is that? Um, and is that something that, that you see reflected in, in the patients that you're dealing with? Yeah, definitely. So that is pretty much like... There are so many studies now that back that up that exercising women do experience more pelvic floor problems than non-exercising women. Um, And when you dive into the research a bit more, then you'll see that, I'm not sure you have seen that the higher the impact and the heavier the weights and things like that, the more likely people are to then leak or have prolapse symptoms. It's really interesting that it comes back to this question of you know, is exercise beneficial for the pelvic floor? And it's just so funny because if you if you think about any other muscle in the body, the benefits of exercise have never ever been debated. <laughs> you know, like we just accept that exercise is so beneficial for every muscle. But when it comes to the pelvic floor, it has been debated because of stats like that, that prolapse and leaking are are higher in the women that do exercise. And the thing is, well, I guess it's kind of, uh, we're trying to answer like, does exercise cause pelvic floor problems? Or does it just highlight pelvic floor problems? Because if you're relatively sedentary or relatively do low impact exercise, so by low impact, we would mean things like swimming, walking at a leisurely pace or cycling, Pilates, yoga on the, the less energetic side. Um, so they would all be kind of low impact. And basically, the lower the impact, the less pressure or the less demand is put onto the pelvic floor. So in order to do those activities without leaking or without any symptoms, your pelvic floor doesn't need to be very strong. So like your baseline of strength needs to be kind of just adequate and you'll get by. But if you enjoy doing things that are more intense or a bit quicker um, or more impact, so like running or golf or tennis or anything that's kind of more um, impactful basically or involving weightlifting, then what that means is for the pelvic floor is more pressure and more demand is placed onto the pelvic floor. So in order to do those activities, your pelvic floor has to be a bit stronger to help like absorb and counteract that pressure in order to not have any symptoms. Like I would say, knowing everything I know, that exercise is really good for your pelvic floor. But 
it just really depends on what your pelvic floor is like. If you're experiencing a lot of symptoms when you exercise, then I would say you're maybe exercising at a level that's a bit too much for the pelvic floor at that moment in time. So I would never advise you to stop completely. But then I would kind of really recommend that you maybe try to just scale back Obviously, make sure you're doing daily pelvic floor squeezes because they don't get stronger on their own, unfortunately. I would see a lot of women who, for example, can run, but maybe if they try and run a bit quicker, they start to have their symptoms. Or if they run more than 20 minutes, they get their symptoms. So for those women, I would say run just under 20 minutes and run at a pace that doesn't allow symptoms to be present and then gradually increase from there. Um, Because everybody has their own individual, unique kind of threshold, if you like. Um, So exercise is really good for the pelvic floor and it is really important, but it depends what your pelvic floor is like. I think as well, a a lot of us who do do lots of exercise, we may not do it, but we at least know that we need to strengthen our glutes and strengthen our quads and all of these other things that enable us to run without injury and and run effectively. But actually, I'm not sure many of us actually think, you know, my pelvic floor is part of my muscle strengthening regime to make sure that I'm an effective runner. So I think maybe as well, it's just an area that we neglect and we'll build up all these other muscles that help us and then actually don't think about things like our core and our our pelvic health as much. Yeah, definitely. Um, And if you do have any symptoms when you're running, it's the best thing you can do during the run is actually to not think about your pelvic floor, which might sound impossible if you have symptoms. But the best thing you can actually do is to focus on your breathing. Because what we often do, like if we are scared of symptoms or we are having symptoms, is generally we tend to like clench up and hold everything in and actually that's the worst thing that we can do so if we do that then we're actually more likely to have leaking or prolapse so actually the best thing to do whilst you're running is to as much as you can keep everything relaxed and breathe into your tummy so you're getting that diaphragmatic movement which then helps the pelvic floor to be recruited and also keeps the pelvic floor flexible And then just make sure when you're not running that you're doing your regular pelvic floor squeezes. So never try and do pelvic floor squeezes when you're walking or running, but just do them separately. And ideally getting up into that standing position when you're doing them. And you mentioned there about the the relaxation. Is it correct that active women tend to have the more hypertonic pelvic floor? So they tend to have more problems with the tension side of things rather than the weakness? or, Or is it really a mixture of both? It's, I do see a lot of really active women who do have tension in their pelvic floor, but I would say it's probably a mixture of both. And I, I don't know, maybe it's just the type of people that I see, but I would say that a lot of the pelvic floor tension is probably more closely linked to personality type. Um, So if somebody is very kind of busy and like, you know, kind of very independent, strong, wants to do everything themselves and kind of has trouble delegating and things like that, then I would say they're the ones who definitely are more likely to have pelvic floor tension or who might have like anxiety or who are quite stressed. Those things are really closely linked to pelvic floor tension. So I wonder if it might be more athletes' personality types um, rather than rather than the actual sport itself that makes the pelvic floor a bit more tense. I, I would love to think that athletes have good knowledge about the pelvic floor, but the fact is they don't get taught it either. So like it is, it is hard. And actually, 
if you're really working your tummy muscles a lot, that can lead to pelvic floor stiffness as well. So I'm sure there is an element of what they're doing in terms of what athletes are doing regularly. But some of it as well is, I think, definitely personalities too. That's really interesting. I hadn't kind of considered that at all, but it, it does make sense, doesn't it? That if you're constantly stressed, your your you know, your shoulder muscles become tense and everything else becomes tense. So why wouldn't your your pelvic floor? Yeah. So you, you've mentioned if you're running, for example, and you're having these issues, you can just dial it back a little bit and make sure that you're kind of focusing on your breathing and, and not doing pelvic floor exercises whilst you're running. Is there anything else you can do in terms of adapting the way you're exercising to benefit your, your pelvic health? And I guess that isn't just individuals who are maybe having symptoms, but just in general, is there anything we should be doing besides the pelvic floor muscle exercises or squeezes that would just benefit our pelvic health in general? Yeah, so the the two most important ones, like during exercise would be the breathing, like that's probably top of the list. Um, like, so when we're breathing with the diaphragm or breathing into the tummy, then it means that we're not clenching our abs, because if we clench our abs, that put that puts loads of pressure down on the pelvic floor. Um, so it just makes it so much harder for the pelvic floor to work. So the breathing helps to keep everything relaxed and flexible. The pelvic floor squeezes are the second most important thing. Um, so doing those kind of outside of your exercise, but they will have a really big positive impact and carry over to exercise. And if you are doing things that do involve any types of running or sprinting or anything like that, then sometimes even just forward leaning a bit more can really help because basically if we're running a bit slowly or kind of with, I guess, like non-optimal technique, then that can also increase pressure onto the pelvic floor. So just trying to lean forward a bit as you're running can actually really help to reduce pressure on the pelvic floor. Because in theory, it's kind of turning us into more of a pushing type run rather than a pulling type run. So trying to get like those glutes and those hamstrings at the back of the leg and the body to kind of work a bit more. And also when we're tilted a little bit forward at the pelvis, it does just really help with support um, and it does offload the pelvic floor. So that's another little tip that you could try. One thing that is really, 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 really important, but not necessarily during exercise is how you go for a poo. Because... (laughs) I wasn't expecting that one. (laughs) Because if you are straining to open your bowels, then it's been shown that it really significantly weakens our pelvic floor. So your exercise technique might be perfect. You might be doing your squeezes. But if you're pooing badly, then that can really negate, you know, and really undo everything that you're doing. So that is really, 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 really crucial because obviously we we poo relatively often, hopefully. So when you're on the toilet, just very simply trying to get your feet up on a step and then breathing into that tummy again really helps to stop having to strain or push down. So that is really, really crucial as well. Yeah, our toilets are just not designed appropriately, are they? No. <laughs> and you can, I, correct me if I'm wrong because I actually haven't done this myself, but you can buy stools that are designed to, to be put in front of the toilet seat can't you to, to put you in the right position uh, and yeah. reduce any straining that you might be having yeah exactly so you can buy spe- specifically designed stools but I just have like I think my step was from Ikea or something you know it was only a couple of quid just like a little um like a child step that I just keep in the bathroom all the time and I just use it every time I need to go <laughs> 
That, that, that That's a useful tip. Thank you. And I, I suppose we've really discussed this in the context of maintaining our pelvic floor so that we don't get symptoms of leakage, for example. But actually, I was just wondering, that is there any research that you're aware of that having a good pelvic floor and having good strength there actually improves performance or, or running or at least possibly reduced injury elsewhere? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and I wish I could say, yes, there's loads of research. Um, but unfortunately, there are not. But there is research to show that there is a relationship between low back pain and pelvic floor muscles and also hip pain and like hip strength and pelvic floor. So although there's not a lot to tell us exactly in terms of links there is enough to support the fact that if our pelvic floor is working optimally and it is strong and it is flexible, then it is going to have a really um, beneficial effect to the rest of our core. So the core being the tummy, the diaphragm, the pelvic floor and the back, but also to our hip muscles as well. So yeah, it is it is all really linked. Um, and the pelvic floor doesn't work just on its own. It's really kind of like linked into everything else. And in order to have a strong core, that really starts with the pelvic floor. So we often think of core strength as our tummy strength, but actually it's so much more than that. It's actually more so coming from the pelvic floor. And when we do a pelvic floor squeeze correctly, it gets a what's called a co-contraction. So it automatically makes our deep tummy muscle work at the same time. So if we're doing our pelvic floor well, it really helps strengthen our core. And having a strong core just in itself can have a massive beneficial effect for the rest of the body. Not to mention this link between low back pain and also hip pain as well. Yeah, I definitely think core strength is something that most people do tend to consider. And actually, again, we don't really know what what we're, what we're training. We we do our crunches and don't think about all the other components that make up our, our core. And finally, just for runners who maybe go to the gym as well and, and are doing heavy weight training, mm-hmm. is there anything that they should be considering in terms of their pelvic floor and, and heavy lifting? Yeah, so there are a couple of things that spring to mind. So when we lift weights, the our intra-abdominal pressure is increased and the heavier we're lifting or the quicker we're moving, the more that pressure then results in. And that means our pelt floor has to be really strong to match that. And that's not to say that we shouldn't weightlift because we absolutely should. But there are some things we sometimes do when weightlifting that can almost cross that line between is it hindering or helping. And one is bracing. So a lot of people have been taught to brace before they lift or just as they lift. And actually that kind of like um, tensing and clenching of the core or, or of the tummy can put loads of pressure down on the pelvic floor. And also part of bracing is holding your breath. And we know as well that if you're holding your breath, then you're not releasing some of that pressure either. So we don't, again, unfortunately, as of yet, we don't have the research or exact figures to back it up. But we do know that weightlifting in terms of technique when it comes to bracing was originally designed for men. And we don't have the data yet on the long term effect of bracing on women. And unfortunately, being female, it does make us more at risk of pelvic floor problems because we do have three holes down there instead of the two. So that kind of like clenching, holding your breath and then lifting puts a lot of pressure on the pelvic floor so so yeah it it might increase the risk of pelvic floor problems later down the line but we just don't really know yet so like knowing everything I know and I love lifting weights and I love my pelvic floor like I just never brace and I never hold my breath I like always breathe out when I lift 
And then the other thing is wearing a belt. So some people will wear a belt when they lift weights, especially heavy weights. And again, it just really increases pressure downwards. So if you're not having symptoms, then it it might give you symptoms later down the line. We, we just don't know, really. Like the way to know for sure would be to have a pelvic floor check as you're lifting the weight. Um, so in clinic, I like to make my pelvic floor checks very functional. <laughs> so if someone has a problem with running, I'll check them in standing. If someone has a problem with weightlifting, I check them as they're doing their weightlifting technique. So that's the way to know for sure if your technique is hindering or helping your pelvic floor. But if you have symptoms of pelvic floor problems, either during weightlifting or at other times, I would suggest trying to stop bracing, don't hold your breath and take the belt off just to get your, you know, work on your pelvic floor for a bit. You can add those things back in again if you really want to, um, but they just really can put a lot of pressure on the pelvic floor. And then in terms of like, there's, I don't know if you meant this by the question, but in terms of like what exercises to be doing, they're like really isn't like one or two that are necessarily better than others other than just try and do a whole variety of weightlifting exercises so you want to just be like as strong as possible not just in your pelvic floor but in the rest of your body to help take the demands of running in general those are really helpful tips and I think I guess our our message is you know include your pelvic floor muscles as part of those muscles that you consider when you're training and doing your strength and conditioning yeah and actually just one last thing um on the weightlifting is if you do have symptoms when you're weightlifting, so try to ditch the bracing, ditch the breath holding, ditch the belt, but then try to squeeze your pelvic floor just before and as you lift. So weightlifting is slightly different because we can slow weightlifting down and we can do it on a one rep by one rep basis. It means that we can think about the pelvic floor if you have symptoms. So yeah, if you do have symptoms, then do try and squeeze your pelvic floor just before and as you lift. But if you don't have symptoms, then don't worry too much about doing that because your pelvic floor hopefully is automatically doing the right thing. And for people that are interested to learn more about running and pelvic floor health, Umi is launching a running and pelvic health section, isn't it? So I was just wondering if you could chat a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's very exciting. Um, we are actually a bit behind our original schedule, but we released a huge resource at the end of 2021 on menopause. Um, so that kind of took up a bit more of our time, but it's amazing. Um, and then since then, over the last few months, we've actually been really increasing um, like functionality. So the website is looking amazing we released a new website on the 1st of March and we've also been producing an app so actually Umi Health will be um, available via an app very soon um, but because we've been we're, we're a really small team and we've been working on those um, so our run by Umi has been delayed slightly but it is coming this year so 2022 and it's going to be amazing it's pretty much written we just need to get on and actually produce it um but it's 15 modules covering basically anything you'd want to know about pelvic health and running um so we cover different life stages like running in your teens how menstrual cycle affects running like in pregnancy postnatally in menopause as well as giving you information about like what happens to your pelvic floor when you run what's the difference between running uphill versus downhill on symptoms or your speed or treadmill versus outdoors and just loads of bits like the effects of breathing that like we look at surgery and when you can get back to running after having surgery and 
we just cover loads of things. Like we bust lots of myths, answer lots of lots of questions, um, and it's just going to be an amazing resource. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to that one. I've I've explored a lot of your content already, and it's very user friendly and, and easy to kind of go through it in bite sized chunks. You don't have to kind of go through everything at once, so it's a really useful resource to have. For those that haven't visited the website yet, would you mind just sharing the website and maybe your Instagram as well, so they can head there and and be ready and waiting for when the running content is released yeah so our website is umihealth.com and it's got a hyphen in the middle so umi is spelled u-m-i then hyphen health.com um and our instagram page is just at umihealth perfect and if anyone wants to find out more about you or hear more from you on social media where should they head um, so my Instagram page is Helen Keeble Physio. So all as one word. Thank you so much. That was uh, very useful for me and hopefully for everyone listening as well. Is there any final things that you just wanted uh, to finish on? Just do some squeezes, but do some breathing. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Pelvic health in a sentence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Amy. A big thank you to Helen for joining me on this episode to discuss the very important topic of pelvic health. As she mentioned, you can find her on Instagram by searching Helen Keeble Physio. And if you want to visit the UMI Health platform, then search for umi-health.com and look out for their running content that will be released later this year. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please do share it and give it a rating. And do get in touch with me if there's any topics or guests that you'd like to see in a future episode. If you'd like to hear more from me, then you can visit marathonmedic.com where you'll find more podcast episodes, blog posts and tips to get more active. And you can also find me on Instagram by searching Marathon Medic. Thanks so much for listening. 